If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 195 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 17th day of September in the year 2023. What is up, everyone? Overcast Sunday here in New York. I hope you're all doing well today. It's nice to be back here for two Sundays in a row. It's the first time in a little while that's happening because of my Italy vacation and then the trip that my girlfriend and I took to Lake George a couple of weekends ago. So it's nice to actually be doing two episodes in a row for the first time in a little bit. And I'm actually recording a little early today. It's in the 1 o'clock hour. It's in the late 1 o'clock hour. So the Yankee game just started, honestly, like 15 minutes ago or something. They just finished the top of the first. And now they're in the bottom of the first scoreless. Rodon is taking the mound. So I'll probably be doing some live reacting whenever things happen. Live in-time reacting while I'm recording here. I might have to take a little bit of an intermission later on because I am hanging with some people, some friends of mine later on in the the day. I'm not sure if I'm going to be done taping by then. Probably not. So we'll see what happens when that time comes. And I'll be sure to obviously let you know when that happens just so you know that you won't be hearing any in-live-time reactions to the game anymore. But... Otherwise, we're just enjoying some baseball here on a Sunday afternoon while many others are probably enjoying football, and I can't really blame them, (laughs) but last week was obviously not the best weekend for us Giant fans like myself because uh, they got embarrassed on national television last Sunday night in prime time. Not ideal against the Cowboys, no less, who always seem to just handle the Giants, so that sucks. But obviously, it's still just the start of the season, and a lot of people are still very excited for football, even though... The Yankees season is still over in my eyes. I am still in baseball mode. It's impossible for me not to be until it is completely and utterly done. So that's how it is every single year for me. A lot of people think me ridiculous for doing that, especially in a year like this where the Yankees are where they are. But I can't help it, guys. I love baseball that much. Even when the Yankees are out, I'll still be watching basically every single playoff game that I possibly can. That's just how it is every year. The one thing I will miss this year, though, and I'm saying this because I am that convinced the Yankees are still not making it, which we do have a lot to talk about on that subject because things have gotten a bit more interesting as of this past week, but still aligned with my thought that I've had for over a month now. And in that same breath, if and when, in my opinion, the Yankees factually do not make the playoffs, one thing I will miss this year is my playoff parties, because one thing I do every year is that I invite usually a bunch of friends over for literally every single Yankee playoff game, and if and when the Yankees, mainly when the Yankees don't make it this year, it's going to be one of very few years that I'm not going to get to do that, because the last time I didn't get to do that was all the way back in 2016, which is the last time they didn't make the playoffs, obviously, so that'll suck. Maybe I'll just have a couple of friends over just to watch other teams playing the playoffs. I don't know. But nonetheless, like I just got done mentioning before, this past week wasn't necessarily like all of the others when we've been talking about relentlessly how the season is over. And again, I still believe it is. 
when it comes to the Yankees and their chances to make the playoffs. That has not changed in my eyes. However, this past week was actually, believe it or not, a little fun, (laughs) which is very rare in 2023, considering over 90% of the season, if I had to say, has been complete and utter misery. And it still had its bad aspects, especially with certain news that came out about the roster and injuries. Well, we know that we've certainly had our fair share of information of that realm for endless years now, so there's no surprise there. But as far as the games went, a little bit intriguing, and it actually added to a bit of a streak that they have going on now for a little bit. Just a little something to keep your eyes on. What I'm talking about specifically is the fact that, in case you haven't been keeping track, as of winning the current series that they're playing right now and going for the sweep with against the Pirates right now, and having won three out of four against Boston in the first half of the week, in the first portion of the week, I should say, this has now marked them having won five of their last six series, and the only series loss in that span being to the Brewers, which was damn near a sweep at Yankee Stadium, if you recall, just last weekend, and... Since the last game of the Brewers series, coming into today, they've also won six of their last seven games. So a bit of an interesting trend for the Yankees of late. Not necessarily just the constant losing of games and series like they have for the vast majority of the season, but they've actually done some winning of late. And the biggest story throughout the entire year especially when you look back on it now at the end, which is what we always do, especially in a year like this, where the Yankees are where they are. You look back on the season, and the Yankees have done almost nothing since June, July, other than lose series that they shouldn't have lost, lose individual games in said series that they should not have lost against some of the worst teams out there. So any time... In my opinion, regardless of opponent or just the series overall against said opponent, regardless of that, them winning series is actually quite a big deal because for the majority of the season, they couldn't do it if their lives depended on it, regardless of who they were facing. doesn't matter. So it's nice to actually do an episode that's in a bit of a positive light, even if I do still feel the way that I do about the Yankees' overall playoff chances. It's still nice to be able to put a bit of a positive spin on what actually happened this past week on a particular Yapping Yankees episode, because that has not been able to happen a lot this year (laughs) at all. So it is very nice in that sense. Just paying attention to the TV now because the Pirates just got a leadoff double in the bottom of the third, I think it is, yeah. Rodon's been pitching pretty well up until now, so hopefully you can keep him off the board. But regardless, in any event... Regardless of opponent and which opponent is in which series, you've got to still at least have a little bit of a smile on your face, even if you do have a bleak outlook on the Yankees' playoff chances. you got to have a little bit of a smile on your face whenever they win a series or beat any sort of a team because, I mean, from the Nationals to the Rockies to the Cubs right before the All-Star break and the Rockies right after the All-Star break— all those series and then some, even the series against the Angels in L.A., A series where, yeah, they could have really notched at least one win, got their asses swept. So many series and games that you could mention in the 149 games the Yankees have played this year. 
today being game number 150, believe it or not. So after today, there's only going to be 12 games left, which is nuts. And you look at the wild card standings, and this is where what I mentioned before comes into play, where I mentioned things have actually gotten a little bit more interesting as of this past week, despite someone like myself still feeling the way that I do about the Yankees' playoff chances, but you have to admit things have gotten at least a little bit more interesting because the Yankees lessened their deficit in the wild card race to six games now behind the third wild card team at the moment in the Blue Jays. Now, things are constantly shifting in the wild card race right now because the Texas Rangers have the second wild card and they're only a half a game better than the Blue Jays. And the Seattle Mariners are a half a game worse than the Blue Jays fighting for that third wild card spot that the Blue Jays currently possess. So, those are the main three over the Yankees right now. And they're all within a half a game or a game of each other. And the Rangers and the Mariners, of course, share a division, so they're also fighting constantly for second place in the AL West, while the Astros are also, right now at this very moment, only a half a game better than the Rangers. (laughs) So the AL West is nuts right now, which is also leading to that second and third wildcard spot being constantly flip-flopped between the Rangers and the Mariners and also the Blue Jays, who are also fighting for it, and the Yankees, if they could get close enough. One problem is, is that there's still six games to make up with only 12 games to go after this. So it could be maybe five games after this with 12 games left to go because today's action is not yet completed. So technically, as of right now, it's six games to go with 13 games left because action has not been completed today. But it's still obviously highly (laughs) unlikely that the Yankees accomplished this, because for this to happen, they'd have to win virtually every single game going forward, maybe with the exception of a couple, if they're lucky. And the main opponent they have in front of them six more times still, and this is what's got everybody talking mainly, is the fact that they still have the Blue Jays coming up. The Blue Jays are six games ahead of them in this wild card race, and the Yankees face them six more times. So, it would really be good for the Yankees if they actually want to be taken seriously in this whole thing to absolutely manhandle them. And to be honest, that's the only way that they even have a remote chance at this because if they don't at least manhandle the Blue Jays, they still got two other teams they have to overcome in the Rangers and the Mariners who don't have the best of schedules coming up and they also face each other a few more times. So that should help them maybe wreck each other's chances a little bit and maybe allow the Yankees to sneak up on them a bit as well. But again, this doesn't really happen anyway unless they absolutely manhandle the Blue Jays. That's the main perspective going forward. They face the Blue Jays right after this current series against the Pirates is done for three games in the Bronx. And they face a tough Diamondbacks team. Not the best in the world Diamondbacks team, but they are an over 500 team, so they're not an absolute pushover. They face them next weekend. And after that, they face the Blue Jays again at Rogers Center. And unfortunately, they have a very easy series in Kansas City to finish off the season in the Royals. In Kansas City, the Yankees have. And then the season's over, guys. It's that close. So really, as you could hear from that schedule, yes, the Diamondbacks are no absolute pushover either. But the most important games in that, especially because the Blue Jays are one of three teams in front of them, are those six games against the Blue Jays. Those games are of paramount importance. There's no doubt about it. And if you don't handle those games, this discussion is meaningless. I still think it's meaningless because I don't think it's possible for them to sweep the Blue Jays at Yankee Stadium and in Rogers Center. I just don't see it happening. And even if that happens, 
they could still lose a game here and there that they shouldn't lose against the Diamondbacks or even the Royals. You can't put it past the 2023 Yankees, even if they're playing better of late. And it still sinks their chances anyway. It's still highly unlikely. And that's where it comes in before when I tell you, especially at the end of the season, particularly with this Yankee team being where they are, that's where you really look back and say, my God, if they just took that series, or my God, if they just took that game when the standings were like that, or if they took that game against the Orioles when they were actually making things a little bit interesting against them in the standings, or when them and Tampa were fighting for first place and you could have won those vital games to gain ground and ruin their first place aspirations possibly. There's just so many scenarios that could have played out in a given day throughout such a long season. And you think about a lot of it. You find yourself thinking about a great deal of it once you're at the end here when you think about what could have gone differently and what could have possibly put them in a better position to make what they're in right now less stressful. That's what you always seem to do. It's not easy. And I just saw the Pirates scored, so now they're winning one nothing. So that's not great, but of course it's just one nothing. But again, like even if they lose this game, <laughs> it's not good. And you look right now at what's going on around the league. And of course, when you guys are listening to this episode, it'll be later tonight and all of this action will probably be wrapped up. But right now, the Blue Jays are beating the Sox right now. You can't really rely on the Sox to beat the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays have a lot more to fight for than the Red Sox. The Red Sox now find themselves a game under 500 and back in last place behind the Yankees again. So they're playing meaningless baseball virtually. And the Blue Jays are fighting for their playoff lives right now against the Rangers and the Mariners mainly. So or even the Astros, if the Astros fall into second place, the Rangers retake it and just flip-flop a lot in these last couple of weeks. The wild card race is going to get nuts. <laughs> That's my point. So, like, if the Yankees don't come back in this game, for instance, and I'm not saying they're not, I know it's only one nothing against a bad Pirates team in the fourth inning now, I know, but if they don't come back and the Blue Jays hold on and win against the Red Sox, And it also depends on what happens with the Mariners and the Rangers today as well. The Rangers are tied at one at the moment I'm recording right now, and the Mariners actually don't play until four. But depending on what happens with them as well, let's say they all win their respective games and everything stays the same, the Yankees will be seven games behind the Blue Jays for the third wild card with six matchups to go against them and only 12 games to go, and it just gets that much more unlikely. So it's a very touch-and-go situation. That's my point. So... The Yankees put themselves in this position for losing all those games and all those series that they should not have lost throughout the year. That's what happens. That's why throughout the season, even if they do lose crucial games, even in months like April and May, while I'm not as upset about them as the vital games they lose in a playoff race later in the year, sometimes you do say, oh my God, that could be a game that they really just look back on and say, my God, if only we just won that game five months later. That happens quite a bit. And now you have an endless selection of those when it comes to this year. That's the position they put themselves in. And you know that you're just going to get all the excuses after the season's over. What if Judge didn't hurt his toe? What if Rizzo didn't have his concussion thing? What if Rodon worked out? What if Jason Dominguez here at the end after a dominant first week didn't tear his UCL, which is a pitcher's injury mainly, What if Nestor didn't deal with his health problems? What if certain arms in the bullpen were healthier, like Jonathan Lewisica, who has hit the IL again, by the way, which we'll hit on in news in just a bit. The list can go on and on and on with the excuses that the Yankees can and likely will make after the season's over, regardless of whether or not they're fair. But 
the fact of the matter is they still put themselves in this position where they did still have a roster no matter how damaged it was that should have beaten the teams that they had disgracefully lost to throughout the season that I mentioned before. I don't care how many people were hurt at those certain times. You shouldn't be losing series to teams like the Nationals or the Rockies or the Cubs before the break. You could go on and on and on, guys. They didn't win a series for months at one point. So pick your poison here. Just take your pick on which series you want to talk about that they shouldn't have lost. And if they actually did win, maybe could have had them in a bit of a better position where some of this discussion right now held a little bit more water. And might actually be catching some people's attention and not so desperate to flee to football in week one. So that's really where they find themselves at, guys. Is it a bit more interesting as of this past week because of the winning that they've done regardless of opponent, even if their opponents aren't the best. Um, yeah, it has been a, a bit more interesting. Have they gotten a little bit more close in the wild card race? Yeah, they have as a result of it. But do I feel like the season has a chance of continuing and the Yankees making the playoffs? I still unfortunately don't because a lot still has to happen as I've expressed. Oh boy, and just, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> The Pirates just hit another home run, and you'll never believe who it was. Miguel freaking Andujar. Oh, that's annoying. <laughs> that's annoying in a game that is really important. If you're delusional enough to think that the season has a chance, respectfully. Just a former Yankee doing that, that always sucks. Well, yeah, the Pirates are winning 2 nothing now. That stinks. So, hopefully the Yankees can pull this one out because, again, if they don't, it's just that much less likely that they have a chance at anything. Not that I believe they have a chance in the first place. Mathematically, they're not out of it yet, so some people may take to social media or the comments underneath this video or audio file, depending on which platform you're listening to the show on right now, and call me negative or pessimistic or whatever. But... I just go off the evidence of what I see in the games, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and I'm very realistic about what has to happen for this potential scenario to become a reality. The Yankees actually somehow miraculously making the playoffs in 2023. It's just too unlikely. I'm sorry. Especially if they lose today. This would be, an, again, even though they would have taken the series if they lose today, they'll have won two out of three in Pittsburgh. It'll be another really bad loss because the Yankees have put themselves in a position right now, and you best believe they're out there still hoping they can make the playoffs. It's kind of the mentality you have to have. But to have any shot at things, you absolutely cannot afford to be losing much of any games anymore, period, let alone a single game to a team like the Pirates. You can't. Because then after this, you have to worry about really having to virtually sweep the Blue Jays. Could they win a series against them? Yeah, even that'll be extremely tough, but sweep is a tall ask. That's an even taller ask than winning the series. And they'll have to do that twice, once on the road, in the following week. Just not on their side, guys. It's not on their side. It's not looking great. You know what else wasn't looking or sounding too great this past week was the injury and roster news that came through for the Yankees. So why don't we get to Yankees news and talk about what happened this past week in injury and roster stuff because 
a lot happened that if you even missed one thing, because so much has happened that you might have missed something. So this is what this segment is mainly for with injury and roster news, just to keep you up to date, even if you already know about it, or who knows, maybe you could have possibly missed something because life goes on. We're all busy doing stuff each week, I would like to think, and maybe something escaped you. I mean, sometimes leading up to the show, I make sure I cover absolutely anything and everything that has come out in the news up to the time that I record for the show each week. But during the week, some things will even skip past me, and I'll just look through all of Yankees news before I record just to make sure I hammered out all of it. And sometimes I'll see that I have missed a thing or two. It happens. Life goes on. Some things escape you. But this is what it's for in case that happens to you as well. First up, we'll start going all the way back to last Sunday, right after I finished recording, because... Obviously, we all know how devastated I and the entire Yankee community was, or were, following the Dominguez news that came out last Sunday. Literally, while I was recording, broke the news about an hour into the show that it wasn't just elbow inflammation and a possible day-to-day injury, that it was, in fact, a torn UCL, and that he can miss a bunch of months, and it could even impact his 2024 season. And I was calculating how long it could possibly be into the 2024 season, how long it would take for him to come back and revamp up. Oh my God, it was a mess. Absolutely beside myself, even though my expectations for the playoffs still were not there. It just, it's still unbelievably devastating news because last couple of weeks we were just trying to find any and all positives that we possibly could for the rest of the season. And the biggest one probably being, aside from Garrett Cole winning the Cy Young, was the kids. And now you're seeing the kids even go down with injuries. So you're trying to just find anything you can to hang your hat on and be like, yeah, this is the reason why I'm coming back to watch the game today, even if the Yankees are virtually dead this year. And even that started to fade away when the news about Dominguez came out, and it was just unfreaking believable how much it felt like the baseball gods hate the Yankees, especially when it comes to injuries. Well, even more news came out last Sunday, after I was done recording, so I figured I'd just save it for... Next week, or this week, now that it's a week later. It was actually revealed, more details on his injury, that Jason actually started to feel his elbow pain two Sundays ago. So a week prior from when we spoke last, the last game of the Houston series. And while treating him, or while he was going through it, seeing if he could play through it, they continued to let him play for basically an entire week, more or less. That's the report that came out first. But then it came out and saying that he kept it quiet until like the middle of the week and tried to play through it. So it was just a lot of the news was mixed up and a lot of people didn't really know 100% necessarily what had happened with the situation. It started to look like the typical mess with the organization that the injuries usually always look like when it comes to this team because it's usually just a sham with this organization and just an entire disaster when it comes to their handling of things, when it comes to this. But all I really have to say is, if it's a matter of him having stayed quiet about it, I understand that players want to play through injuries, and I even respect it to a certain degree, even though they're putting themselves in further danger when they do so. I respect their desire to be out on the field and continue to contribute, especially when you were contributing at the rate that Jason Dominguez was in his first week in the big leagues. I get it. But there's also a certain degree of it that isn't, responsible because you could risk further injury and I'm not sure in this particular case if trying to play through it or the Yankees trying to make him play through it whichever scenario officially played out 
worsen the injury or if it was going to be this bad anyway, because these problems are usually very touch and go. It's very complicated unless you're an actual doctor and even sometimes they get it wrong. (laughs) So I'm not going to claim to know more than a medical professional, even though I could still offer my opinion on it. But regardless, it's still the responsible thing to do. And I've said this at all times to at least report what you're feeling. And if you think there's even a remote chance of it becoming a colossal injury, then just do the responsible thing. Because then it just ends up making it look really bad. I mean, the main situation that people are bringing up amongst this, because, you know, the medical staff, which definitely deserves the scrutiny it gets, I think. And all the people involved, all the doctors involved, the the organization at large that overlooks the players and their injuries... I mean, this situation isn't really what they need because the first thing they always bring up is the Anthony Rizzo mess when he had that collision with Tatis Jr. at first base. And it was obvious that when he had started the first month and a half or two looking like it was going to be a career year in his mid-30s, and then after that collision, he put up some of the worst numbers of his entire career for a couple of months, and the organization just kept on throwing him out there until they said, yeah, we're seeing some post-concussion symptoms popping up that date back to the Tatis collision. It really makes the organization look bad when then you have this situation saying that he might have mentioned it or he kept quiet about it and he kept on playing through it or they just thought it was safe for him to play through it. It's just a mess. It makes everything look that much more awful, guys. So from that look, from an optics perspective, and just from the player's personal perspective, just as a matter of responsibility and doing what's best long-term, you got to just mention it and just do what's best and just maybe sit it out and do further evaluation and just see what the deal is. It's complicated. It's probably from a case-by-case basis, very complicated, and not really knowing 100% how to always handle it, but it's just really crappy when you hear about this situation playing out again, where he might have stayed quiet about it, or the organization might have thought that it was okay for him to play through it. It's a mess. It's a whole big mess with this injury saga that's happened for years now, even just aside from this year alone, where it has continued at a spectacular rate, an incomprehensible rate. But here we are. But it was announced, in fact, again, going back to last week, that he still does have that torn UCL problem. He was being evaluated by doctors more this past week instead of just going for the surgery right away. I believe he has gotten, or if he hasn't gotten it yet, he will get it very soon, the surgery. And now they were saying it could be anywhere from like 8 to 10 months, which is pretty wild considering that Jeff Passan originally put the tweet up when it first happened that it could take him anywhere from like 5 to 6 and his 2024 season might not be really impacted much, if at all, because he is still just a position player. But I don't know, now it could be 8 to 10 months. Maybe they're saying that just to cover their bases, pun intended, I guess, or just to not really give false hope if you put out a timetable that's sooner than that and then it turns out to be longer and you make yourselves look that much worse from an optics perspective or... I don't really know what the deal is, but I thought it would definitely be sooner than 8 to 10 months when it comes to a position player. I'm still baffled as to what really could have done it. Maybe it was an injury that he had around the time he came up or even before that, and it just somehow got worse for some reason when he came up here. I don't know. The only other position player that I've heard of on the Yankees that this has happened to a Tommy John surgery as an outfielder is Aaron Hicks a few years ago. And unfortunately, after that happened... Not that he was like anything beyond fantastic beforehand, but especially afterwards, he was even worse 
it really seemed to affect him. It definitely affected his throwing arm in the outfield. His throwing arm became a noodle, if you remember. So, this has me nervous. Because this kid, from how he looked when he came up and the promise that was there, even if it was just for a week, and now just hearing how much this could affect his potential first full season, what should have been his first full season as a rookie in the big leagues, and also just long-term-wise hurting his development. It's really upsetting, and it really just puts that much more of a damper on this Yankee organization. It really makes things look even more bleak than they already were. This organization's in trouble, man. I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to have to have some hell of a winter to really turn this thing around, because I don't especially with this Jason Dominguez news now, eight to ten months, you're placing him around the halfway point of next season at that point. It's not looking good. It's not. I don't know what's going to happen. Obviously, answers will become more clear as time goes along and his healing progresses. Probably hear more by the end of the winter or so. Things will probably be pretty quiet on the Jason Dominguez front throughout the vast majority of the winter, I have to imagine. And then maybe around spring training or the start of the season, there'll be more info. I don't know. It's just a really crappy situation. I'm still in utter disbelief about it. But anyways, they did end up officially putting him on the injured list after all. And as a result of it, on Monday, they finally did decide to recall Estevan Florial and give him another chance. Because, I mean, what do they have to lose at this point? He had to be re-added to the 40-man, obviously, because they DFA'd him months ago, but then he was brought back because nobody claimed him. And... That sort of a thing, putting him on, on DFAing. When you DFA someone, it takes him off the 40-man roster. So, in order to come up, he had to be re-added. So, they did do that. Resigned him to a major league deal, brought him back up to the bigs on the 40-man. And uh, also on Monday, along with that, since Florial's been back for six days, now it was also announced that Oswald Peraza was day-to-day with left knee inflammation, as if any more kids needed any more problems. That's what I was talking about. When you're looking at any sort of positives that you could get throughout this bleak-as-hell season, at the end here, you're looking to seeing anything that could happen with the kids, and now the kids are coming up with problems. Not only Dominguez, but now Peraza, who, yes, has since played this week since this was announced, so it can't be that bad, I imagine, but it was even announced that he was having some left knee problems, but day-to-day, no IL stint or anything. And he had had an MRI on it a few days prior, apparently, and he was said to be okay structurally, so just some swelling outside of his knee. I guess that's why towards the end of last weekend we hadn't seen him play very much, but as I said this past week he had played again, and he's actually looked pretty good. So I guess that's fine now, or they're just keeping an eye on it. But regardless, that was some news that came out about him. I'm just glad there's no structural damage, otherwise it would be a much worse situation. Tuesday. Now, this past week, like I said, in the first half of the week or the first portion of the week, the Yankees and Red Sox were put in an interesting place because obviously they had their four-game set that I alluded to at the end of the weekly recap last week. The weather really put them into an interesting predicament because they were forced to play four games in three days, more or less. Two doubleheaders in three days because they had two rainouts. What was supposed to be a four-game set from Monday through Thursday just ended up being two doubleheaders, one on Tuesday and one on Thursday. (laughs) It's really bizarre. But before Tuesday's doubleheader, obviously because you get the extra man, one and two, you have to prepare just for any scenario that could take place because you're going to be using a lot of pitchers that particular day, you have to imagine. Usually teams make a few roster moves before doubleheaders. So... 
a lot of roster moves did take place mainly because of that this past week. On Tuesday, they signed Zach McAllister, who was down in the minors, to a major league contract and selected him to the 40-man. So they added him to the roster, mainly because, also outside of that, more big bullpen news like I was talking about before with Luizica specifically. It was announced that Luizica was placed back on the 15-day injured list retroactive to September 10th with right elbow inflammation. <laughs> so Luizica with elbow problems and shoulder problems in the past, now he's got elbow inflammation. That's just freaking fantastic. So we're probably not seeing Luizica back for the rest of the year. I'll be shocked if we do. If we do, it'll just be in the last few days, because that'll be the soonest he could come back anyway. The soonest he could come back, since he was retro to the 10th, would be around the 25th. And at that point, there's only just a select few games left in the season. So at that point, I would argue, especially if the Yankees are definitively, mathematically out of the playoff race by then, that he would just be shut down the rest of the year. Why not? Why push it when the games don't matter? They also happen to claim a Luke Weaver off of waivers from the Mariners. Luke Weaver. Definitely nothing to really right home about, but also they happened to move Nestor to the 60-day IL to make room for him on the 40-man, and a lot of people might be asking, well, had they just signed Zach McAllister to a major league contract and add him to the 40-man when Luizaga was just a 15-day IL transfer, that doesn't open up a 40-man spot. Well, they already had a 40-man spot open. They were at 39, so that's how they were able to do that, but when it comes to picking up Luke Weaver from the Mariners, they had to make a 40-man spot for him, and that was moving Nestor to the 60-day injured list. That doesn't affect his timetable, of course. It was just to make room on the 40-man. It's not like Nestor's coming back this year anyway. So, picking up Luke Weaver, someone of his stats, you know, I guess just more diving through the dumpster. Why not? Brian Cashman doing his thing and his guys all around him. So they added him to the active roster prior to Game 2 of Thursday's doubleheader, while optioning Matt Bowman, so Luke Weaver's been here since then. And also, by the way, when it comes to the kids, why not add another? Everson Pereira. Some might have noticed that he hasn't been in the lineup since Thursday's 5-0 loss to Boston in Game 1 of that doubleheader. Just for those who may have missed that, I did see a couple of people on my Twitter timeline who were not aware of that, but just so they are aware now, if you happen to be a listener of mine by chance, he has been dealing with leg soreness after apparently slipping on some stairs in Boston, so... There you go. Another of the kids having issues. Terrific. That's what we love to hear, right? Can't get enough of more kids having injury problems. <laughs> Unbelievable. So it's actually 2-1 to one now, by the way, in the Pirates and Yankees game right now because DJ LeMahieu actually hit an RBI double, driving home Estevan Florial, who had reached base on a single, a leadoff single. They're already in the fifth inning. So this game is going by... Pretty damn quickly. And I have taken a couple of quick pauses throughout this recording, so that's why when it was only like the bottom of the first when I started, it's already the bottom of the fifth. Now, when I'm only about 35 minutes into recording, I've taken a couple of few-minute breaks here because I had to run and do something. But at this point in time right now, it's around 3 o'clock, and yeah, game's flying by, guys. So it's 2-1 to one Pirates now after DJ's RBI double. So... Yeah, even if they're not long-term injuries like Jason Dominguez, really, you just, biggest thing you hate to hear at this point in time, when you're searching for any positives that you really can for the rest of this virtually pointless Yankees season, the biggest one I would say being the kids, the last thing you want to see is kids continuing to deal with injuries, and even though Peraza's been back in the lineup lately, had his 
left knee inflammation problems earlier in the week, they were saying. You have Dominguez dealing with what he is now, long-term, even affecting his 2024 season, it sounds like, and a decent chunk of it. It could very well be. We'll see when time gets closer, of course, as time continues to pass. And now, you're hearing about these leg problems that Pereira's experiencing. So, it just sucks. <laughs> it's just sucky to hear. When it comes to something else that really sucks, that just happened a few days ago, Friday to be specific, so I guess actually just a couple of days ago, Anthony Masevich, who we were just talking about last week, the Yankees did acquire from a reliever standpoint. He was pitching in the game on Friday against the Pirates, and he had just about the scariest thing happen to him that could happen to any pitcher. The biggest nightmare scenario that you could possibly imagine that any pitcher stepping on the mound could have happened to them. It does happen every once in a while, and each time it happens, I hate it even more than the prior time that it happened, because you never want to see this. It's absolutely awful. But he had a line drive come right back at him and hit him right in the face. On the left side of his face, to be specific. Really scary situation. This is obviously, again, the thing that you want to see happen the least. I know this because I've spoken to a lot of pitchers in the past. And literally the thing that is the scariest thing to happen is just seeing a ball go right back where it came. And at a scary velocity too because they always say too, the harder you throw, the harder it's going to come off the bat. So it's, it's a really scary thing to witness. He was taken to the hospital and he was in high spirits according to Boone in the postgame after it happened, believe it or not. Like, what could be a worse thing to happen? He was a pitcher, honestly. <laughs> I'm just glad he's okay. He went to the hospital, but was released yesterday, apparently just a day later, and they IL'd him with a concussion, obviously, as I would expect. So, obviously, all the thoughts and prayers to Misevich. It sounds like he's okay, but still a very scary situation. You never want to see it happen to any pitcher. It's, it's just horrible. So, I'm just glad he's okay. Because that hits you in the right spot, at the right speed, <laughs> you know, God forbid, God forbid. You know, not to compare, but a lot of people always talk about certain other injuries that could always happen in other sports, and yeah, they'd definitely be right, and how life-threatening it could be, but a lot of people, they forget that there are a few plays that could play out in baseball that could also definitely put someone's life in danger that should not be forgotten or passed over, and that's definitely one of them. You know, if someone throws a ball at 95 to 100 miles an hour and they hit the ball in the right spot, that ball could come off the bat at 110 plus and hitting someone straight in the head in the right spot, <laughs> that could easily. You want to talk about being life-threatening. That's really scary. You don't, you don't want to downplay that at all. It's a really scary situation. So again, I'm just glad that Misevich came away from that not only just alive, obviously, but that he actually seemed to be in pretty high spirits and he got out of the hospital after a day and he just seems to be okay. That's the most important thing. Never want to see that happen to a pitcher. So they did IL him, and in exchange for him being placed on the injured list, the seven-day concussion injured list, by the way, not the standard 10 or 15-day, seven-day concussion injured list, the Yankees did, in turn, reactivate Ian Hamilton. So Hamilton returns. He's been out for a little while with a groin problem, but he is back now. So obviously, with all that being said, obviously another 
eventful week injury and roster-wise, as you could hear, as I said before. As if we haven't already had our fill of all of it an eternity ago, but unfortunately the baseball gods have made their hatred for us more than clear at this point, so who's surprised anymore? What is surprising, though, guys, is, again, regardless of how you feel about their playoff chances, like I still think, even though they're still mathematically in it, that it's just not going to happen, regardless of how you feel about that, what is still surprising, though, is, again, how the Yankees actually managed to have a good week this past week. <laughs> and again, it's tough to use the excuse that they're not playing the best of teams with the Red Sox having fallen under 500 and back in the last place below the Yankees again, and the Pirates coming into today 11 games under 500 at 69 and 80. But like I've spoken about so much this episode and in weeks past, for a vast majority of the season, we know the Yankees have lost countless games and countless series to teams that were even worse than both of these teams. So it's tough to use that excuse, quite frankly, right now. So that still makes it surprising. <laughs> I don't take it for granted at all because of that. In any event, though, let's recap it all. Strange first part of the week against the Sox due to the rain, like I said before, two doubleheaders in three days. And then the current Pirates series wrapping up today with the Yankees going for the sweep. So... It's nice to actually be able to go through some positives when it comes to recapping this past week's play because Lord only knows that this has not been a frequent occurrence this year, so let's get to it. We pick up from where we left off last Sunday where the Yankees hilariously managed to salvage a game against the Brewers and prevent from being swept at Yankee Stadium. Yapping Yankees time machine, let's do it. All right, well, I just went to go hang out with my family for a few minutes and just chill and watch the Yankee game with them before coming back here to resume my recording. And while I was gone, literally just when I sat back down in this chair to start recording again, because I have the TV on in my room right next to me as I'm recording, as I always do when the Yankees are on as I tape, Anthony Volpe just tied the game on a solo shot. So we jumped in time a bit again here again when it comes to what's going on in live time as I'm recording. But Anthony Volpe just tied the game on a solo shot. That was his 21st home run of the year. And he has now also reached 60 RBIs. So congratulations to Volpe on that. 21 home runs and 60 RBIs in his rookie year. Not too shabby. I know there are definitely a lot of other statistics that we'd rather be higher when it comes to his offense, no doubt about that. But it is just his rookie year, guys. And, you know, next year will be his second year in the league. We'll see how he builds on this because there are some positives that you could pick out about his offense this year, even though there are obviously some negatives you could pick out as well. Still on the road to learning. Still on the road. But the game is tied up at two. They were losing 2-0 to start off after Peguera put them on the board with an RBI single, the Pirates, and then Miguel Andujar, of all people, <laughs> hits an oppo taco to make it 2-0 off Rodon in the bottom of the fourth. And now the Yankees have slowly crawled back thanks to an RBI double by DJ and now a solo shot by Volpe is 21st of the year. So that's the current status on today's game. When it comes to this past week, though, this is what we're here for, the weekly recap. So going back to Monday, of course, after what happened with the Brewers, we covered that last week. Monday, of course, the Yankees and the Red Sox rained out. This was the first of two doubleheaders between them that took place this past week, obviously. The first game featured a pitching matchup between Randy Vasquez and Nick Pavetta. On the Yankee side, Vasquez went just three and two-thirds, allowing two runs, three hits, one walk, and three strikeouts, so not too much length, of course. Brito would come in afterwards and pitch two and a third scoreless. 
you know, Brito has had those outings where he just comes in and eats up a lot of innings and just really covers the bullpen. He has his outings where he's a disaster. It just depends, really. But this time again, he helped out. The Yankees would win this game, so he would get the win, his seventh of the year, while pitching those two and a third innings scoreless. Canely would pitch an inning scoreless after that, also having Wandy Peralta and Clay Holmes doing the same after that. Even though Clay Holmes gave everybody a heart attack in the ninth inning, walking the bases loaded, but then inducing one of the more clutch double plays I have seen in some time in making Alex Verdugo, of all people, ground into a double play to end the game, securing a 3-2 Yankee victory. Especially surprised with Verdugo doing that because Verdugo is usually one of the biggest ones in the Red Sox lineup to always come through against the Yankees in crucial situations. So despite Clay Holmes being an elite sinker ball pitcher, I'm still surprised that Verdugo did not find a way to come through in one way or the other to at least tie the game, let alone even potentially walk it off. But regardless, the Red Sox did jump out in front with two runs of their own to start off against Vasquez in the bottom of the fourth, the first one being a solo shot by Devers, and then a wild pitch after that making it 2-0. So the Red Sox jumping out 2-0 in the fourth, and then the Yankees in the sixth inning jumped out in front despite being majorly quiet throughout the first half of the game. DJ would get them on the board with an RBI double, making it 2-1. to one. And then Glaber, who we have spoken about for weeks on end now, has really been the most consistent and important hitter in this Yankee lineup in 2023, comes through yet again with a two-run single to put the Yankees in front 3-2. to two. And again, after Canely, Wandy, and Clay, miraculously Clay, held it down out in the bullpen, the Yankees held on to a 3-2 to two victory to start off doubleheader number one. And in doubleheader number one, in game number two, obviously the Yankees and the Red Sox would retake the field in game two at Fenway Park with Rodon taking the mound for the Yankees. Didn't have like a beyond amazing start, but didn't have an awful start either by any means. Five innings, one run. Did allow four hits and four walks though, but also did strike out nine. So... There were positives and negatives about this start. Really odd start for Rodon, but since the Yankees did also manage to win this one, and he did go five innings with them having the lead by the time he was done, taking the lead in the top of the sixth, that is, it was good enough for Rodon to earn his third victory of the year. McAllister would throw an inning scoreless after that. Masevich would do the same, along with Bowman and Nick Ramirez. So... A lot of the lower-end bullpen guys getting some work in that game, combining for four innings scoreless, surprisingly. So the Red Sox only scoring one run, and that was in the bottom of the first off of Rodon when Rafaela hit a solo shot off of him. And he's just a kid, but he showed some impressive power there off Rodon. I mean, it was a fastball that was pretty in. I mean, Rodon got it pretty in on him, and he still just turned on it and hit an absolute freaking bomb to the monster. So impressive power by him, but that would be the only run the Red Sox put up all night. Estevan Florial would tie the game in the top of the fifth with an RBI single. Jake Bowers, who, I mean, for the most part, just had an absolutely putrid week. I mean, there were just moments where he looked awful, awful, to the point where some people were even saying that he was one of the worst Yankee hitters that anybody had ever seen in the history of the Yankees team. I mean, that is, oh, God. And I can't even totally disagree with them either. He looked that bad at times. It was really, really ugly. But he did manage to put them in the lead by grounding into a force out in the top of the sixth. <laughs> so I guess that's a W, mini W. Two to one, and that's what ended up scoring Rodon the victory because he was done after the fifth, so they retook the lead before the next pitcher on the mound took the mound in McAllister. But then in the top of the ninth, the Yankees added on some needed insurance because, you know, in the bottom of the ninth with 
the bullpen the way it is, especially with Holmes and Wandy having ready pitch and Canely in game one, you definitely feel more comfortable if the Yankees had more than just a one-run lead going into the bottom of the ninth, and the Yankees were able to accomplish that, partially because of a Red Sox error, but still, nonetheless, first one wasn't an error. It was an RBI single by Glaber Torres. Put them up 3-1, to one, so Glaber coming through yet again. And then this was the error. Catcher's interference by Connor Wong. One catcher to the other because Austin Wells was at the plate. So with Austin Wells at the dish, catcher's interference, gave Austin Wells first base, and drove home Everson Pereira. So that gave the Yankees a 4-1 to lead, and that would be the final. Yankees win the first two games of the series and both games of the doubleheader, so they sweep doubleheader number one. On Wednesday, thanks to the rain, they were rained out again. <laughs> so, again, this is when the situation kicked in, where they would have to play two doubleheaders in three days. Four games in three days. So, really, really strange stuff happening at Fenway Park in this four-game set between the Yankees and the Red Sox. Game one, pretty uneventful, because the Yankees didn't score a single run. <laughs> so, really dead offense. They did have six hits, got traffic on the bases, but just couldn't get anything accomplished. Glaber had two hits in this game. So did Oswald Peraza. And Peraza, I was mentioned, I might have mentioned it a little bit last week, maybe just the fact that he was playing, but I should also add that there were some times where he looked really good this past week. And I guess this is another example of that going two for four, but the offense couldn't get anything pushed across. They really struggled against Halk, which they really have the tendency to do a lot of the time. So that happened yet again here. Michael King did start this game again. We mentioned last week how they were really trying to convert him to a starter. Four and two-thirds, he went allowing six hits, so quite a bit of hits. Only one run, though, and one walk, and striking out eight. So while he did allow some traffic on the bases, he only allowed one run to come across, nearly going five innings yet again. So honestly, not, not too bad for Michael King. He did allow a lot of hits, but final result, the final line, not brutal. But the offense didn't do anything. Weissert came in after the pitch, two and a third allowed a run, and Matt Bowman had an ugly outing where in just one inning he allowed three runs. Red Sox scored five, Yankees scored nothing. That's a surefire way to lose a game, and they would do just that, losing five to nothing. Game two of the second doubleheader to end the series, this was the game that actually granted the Yankees the series victory. Best three out of four in the four-game set at Fenway. So that's good because, you know, like we spoke about, Basically all season, the Yankees not winning many series at all. Now, if you include the weekend in Pittsburgh, that is just wrapping up now. Well, they've already won this series. Even if they end up losing this game, they're still tied at two at right now at the moment I'm recording. Then they still have won the series. They've won five of their last six series. It's pretty good. So this one did clinch the series win for the Yankees against the Red Sox. Starting this game for the Yanks was Clark Schmidt. He went five and a third allowing four runs, but only three were earned, thanks to a Volpe error in the first inning on a Verdugo RBI force out. So that's why that one run was unearned for him, but the rest were earned against Clark Schmidt. And also along with Clark Schmidt pitching for the Yankees that night was McAllister, gave up a run in two-thirds innings pitched. He got two outs. And Wandy and Canely would also pitch with Canely pitching the last two innings, getting a two-inning save ultimately in what would ultimately be a Yankee victory, his second save of the year. Canely has definitely been much better of late, which is great to see because after he had a near 20-inning scoreless, right after he came back from his biceps tendonitis, obviously he went down again for a while where he was really unreliable, and now lately he's been back at it, so that's good to see. Boston did actually jump out to the lead first, though, at the beginning, thanks to that 
Volpe error along with an Abreu on the Red Sox, meaning that gave them a 2-0 lead on his RBI single. And then the Yankees would storm right back in the top of the second with DJ. This ended up having to be challenged and it was overturned. It was originally a ground out, but it ended up being that DJ beat it out. Would beat out an infield hit to make it an RBI single driving home. Florial made it 2-1 to Boston. And then the captain, Aaron Judge, who otherwise for this has been back to being pretty dormant. We've actually spoken a little bit about it about how other than the, you know, he went on a home run tear again for a while there, but we've spoken about since he got back, he's definitely had his bouts where he's gone into some slumps, and he had been in another up until this. So this is definitely a very nice way to break out of a slump, (laughs) hitting a grand slam to dead center field against one of your rivals, arch-rival Red Sox. It's very nice at Fenway Park. So he hit a grand slam, did the captain, putting the Yankees ahead all of a sudden 5-2. to So that was awesome. Bottom of the third, the Red Sox would get a run back on a Devers solo shot, made it 5-3. Then Casas got a run back as well, thanks to another error by Anthony Volpe. So not the best night at shortstop for him. That made it 5-4. And then the Red Sox would end up tying the game on an RBI ground out in the bottom of the seventh at 5. So they did end up coming back, but then the Yankee offense did not go quietly. So after a very quiet first game, it was nice to see them have some fight in the second game. Top of the eighth, DJ with an RBI double down the left field line, put the Yankees back out in front 6-5. to five. And then Oswald Peraza with his first home run of 2023, a two-run shot into the monster seats deep in left center. Really nice shot for him. Put the Yankees ahead 8-5, to five, and that would be the final. Again, the Yankees taking the series in Boston and moving on to Pittsburgh, which is where they're currently at right now. Game 1 was on Friday, and to start this series was Garrett Cole on the mound. Didn't have his best stuff. Only went 5 innings, which is unusual for him. Gave up 6 hits. Did only give up 2 runs, so nothing crazy. He did walk 3 people, so his walks, which have been very much under control this year, not great on Friday, and only struck out 4. So, not the best of starts for Garrett Cole, but obviously not a disastrous start. Still just 2 runs in 5 innings, not a train wreck. This was the night that Misevich obviously got hit in the face, and (laughs) I've spoke about this before. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. I'm just glad he's okay because it literally hits so hard off his face. Can you imagine this? Line drive right back to the pitcher. Hits off the left side of his face so hard that on the deflection from his face trickled into right field for what looked like a regular base hit afterwards. That's how hard it hit his head. Really scary stuff. Really, really, really scary. He unfortunately also did not have a good inning outside of that, only getting two outs and allowing three runs which was really a shame because the Yankees had a 3-2 to two lead going into the bottom of the sixth when this happened after Cole had finished. So if they had held the two runs that they had scored in the sixth inning to take the lead for Cole, then Cole could have gotten the win. But this inning just ended up falling apart. Obviously what happened to Misevich was terrible. So just glad he's okay. Everyone who pitched after that held it down nicely for the offense to add on later to ultimately clinch what ended up being a win in the end, which was very nice. But yeah, from an offensive standpoint, this game was a bit crazy. To start off the game, in the bottom of the first, Sawinski hit a sacrifice fly off Cole to make it 1-0. 
but the Yankees answered right back on a Ben Rortvet RBI single, made it 1-1, one to one. and then in the bottom of the second, Garrett Cole would give up his second and final run of the start, giving up an RBI single to Brian Reynolds, making it 2-1 to one Pirates, and then this is after he came out of the game after his five innings were done, the Yankees did have his back, DJ LeMahieu with an RBI single, and Aaron Judge with an RBI single, so that made it 2-2 two to two and then 3-2 to two respectively. So, Judge adding on to his Grand Slam that he had. It's very nice, because again, before that, he was slumping pretty hard before that Grand Slam again. So, it's always good to see him do that. And the hit off of Misevich's face was the first of three runs that the Pirates would end up scoring in the bottom of the sixth, because that deflection ended up driving a run home, unfortunately. But that's, you know, the game goes on after that until the play is over. So... That would drive home Andujar, and then Cabrian Hayes would drive home the next two for the Pirates to give them a 5-3 to lead on a two-run single. And the top of the ninth, this is where it all got crazy. So, Estevan Florial ended up walking with the bases loaded. This made it 5-4 to Pirates, so the Yankees got real close. And then, after this, Anthony Volpe hits a ground ball to shortstop. Estevan Florial is running into second, does not slide... So I definitely think this has a bit to do with it. Maybe it like spooked the shortstop a little bit, the fact that he didn't slide, but he also didn't really interrupt the play that much in the sense of like ever running into the Pirates' second baseman. But I mean, the fact that he was just running straight into second, I mean, they are kind of fortunate, I suppose, that they didn't really call anything on that because obviously you're not allowed to interfere with the feed from second base. Otherwise, the person at first could be called out and it could just be made into a double play. Um, but I guess, you know, he never really definitively like crashed into him or anything, but still the second baseman who got the feed from the shortstop ended up making a really bad throw to first. It got away and it ended up scoring two more runs, putting the Yankees in the lead. So you could say that an error really saved the night for the Yankees because that really was a tailor-made double play to end the game, but it is what it is. Bad throw. These things happen in baseball. Yankees take the lead 6-5 and then Oswaldo Cabrera, who has been much better these last few weeks, I must give him credit for. We all know how dreadfully he started the season for a long time, where a lot of people were expecting him to really take that left field mantle, at least to start the season. He started so terribly that that's not the way it went, and that's where things kind of went off the rails for the Yankees with left field, you know, even though we were talking all winter about other ways it could have upgraded in the position. When it at least started, a lot of people were relying on Oswaldo, and it didn't go the way that any of us had hoped it would, but... At least after that, as of now, for a little while now, he's he's turned it around. So he's been looking really good there, both at the plate and wherever they've asked him to play, whether it be infield or outfield. But at the plate, he's getting it done, and got it done again here. RBI single, added on an extra run for the Yankees, made it 7-5, and that was the final. So ultimately, the Yankees would end up grabbing a victory to start the series on what was a four-run rally in the top of the ninth. Again, yes, partially helped along by an error, but again, these things happen. Yankees get a really nice win to start the series. And then there was last night, the second game against the Pirates. Taking the mound for the Yankees in this one to start was Luke Weaver. They gave the ball to him. Did not have the best of starts. Four innings, three runs, four hits, two walks, seven strikeouts. So he actually got a good amount of strikeouts, but not the best of starts. Didn't really give much length, obviously. Wasn't really intended to. I don't really think many of us expected much out of him. But then Brito came in afterwards and pitched the rest of the bulk of the game. Three scoreless innings, striking out three, not allowing any hits, walks, base runners, nothing. So that was another really good outing for Brito. And with what would end up being a win, him pitching during that would also 
give him the W, another win for him, eight on the year now for Brito. Hamilton would also pitch an inning shutout after being reactivated, striking out one, and Clay Holmes would pitch the bottom of the ninth, closing out the game for his 21st save of the year. When it comes to the offense, in the top of the first, Austin Wells got the scoring started with an RBI double, followed by a two-run single by Estevan Florial, coming through in big situations where it matters here and there. Obviously, the numbers overall are not great, but in situations like this, when there's a big situation, he seems to come through. So, 3 nothing after this, two-run single. Pirates added on two more to bring it within one on a two-run shot by Brian Reynolds to make it 3-2 to two after just the first inning. So that's when it got real interesting, Pirates answering right back. But the top of the third, the Yankees answered back themselves. Solo bomb by John Carlos Stanton. An absolute laser into left field to give the Yankees a 4-2 to lead. Pirates inched closer again after that on an Andy Rodriguez sacrifice fly, made it 4-3. to But then the Yankees were able to seal the deal after that when they scored off a wild pitch. Aaron Judge scoring on that at the top of the sixth. And then Oswaldo hitting an absolute bomb down the right field line. A solo shot, his fifth home run of the year, making it 6-3 to in the top of the eighth. And that would, of course, be the final. The Yankees win 6-3, and here we find ourselves today with them having a 76-73 and record, playing their 150th game of the year. And we'll see what happens. They really, like it, like I said, for those who actually believe they even have a remote chance at making the playoffs and actually getting that third wild card, I am not one of them. But for those who are, like I said, they really can't afford to be losing much of any more games after this, let alone just about any against the Blue Jays, who they really have to manhandle for me to even be remotely paying attention to any sort of wild card race, because that's the only way it even realistically happens, which is still highly unlikely, like I've mentioned so much throughout this show already. I just really want to save people from any, any further pain, I guess you could say. But regardless, at the point I'm recording right now, they're still tied up at two. We're heading into the eighth inning, so... If they're really serious about this sort of a thing, it would be really smart for them to win this game. I think that goes without saying. Alright guys, well I just got back after a few hours of hanging out with some friends like I mentioned I was doing earlier on in the show. It is now late at night in the 10 o'clock hour. And that's why I put that sound effect in just to have sort of a an indication to push the point across that there was sort of a time skip there. So, I know the end result to the Yankee game, to all the rest of the games throughout the league that you are now aware of listening to this episode. Obviously, the Yankees ended up losing the game, which is a huge blow to their playoff chances, as it's as is each and every single loss that they take. Going forward now, with they, they just can't afford to lose many games, and they ended up losing today's after the Pirates ended up scoring in the bottom of the seventh on an RBI double by Jason DeLay. And that was a uh, very big blow that Rodon ended up giving up when he was actually making some really good progress and wrapping up was what was not a bad start, six and two-thirds. But that third and crucial final run given up, giving up six hits. He didn't walk anybody today, which was a rare feat for him. He had good, much better control today, striking out 10 people as well. But that third run, it ended up being the dagger because the Yankees... Only getting two runs today on four hits. And they were obviously down 2 nothing. And as we covered earlier on, they had come back by scoring two runs of their own in the top of the sixth. 
on an RBI double by DJ, and then that game-tying two-run homer by Volpe we were talking about before, but then Rodon gives up that one more run. The offense can't come back, and the Yankees lose a game, even though they win the series, but they lose a game that they can't afford to lose against a really bad opponent when losses can't really afford to happen if they have any legitimate playoff hopes, and they lose a bad one today. They have off tomorrow now, and uh, going forward, obviously we have the three games against the Blue Jays, like I said, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday coming up this week, all games at 7.05 Eastern. The first one being pitched by Clark Schmidt on Tuesday. On Wednesday, taking the mound will be Michael King again. And then on Thursday, the 21st, Garrett Cole will return to the mound. He'll be facing Jose Barrios that day. And then Friday, they have the series against the Diamondbacks at Yankee Stadium. Friday night's game at 7.05, Saturday at 1.05, and Sunday at 1.35. When we speak again next next Sunday, the 24th. So by next week, I mean, it should really even be a better look at the playoff picture with the wild card than we already have this week. With the rest of the league, when you look at the other teams they have to overcome in teams like... The Rangers and the Mariners, well, they each lost today. So the Blue Jays, we were talking about earlier how close they all were with each other in this wild card race. The Rangers, who were only a half a game better, now have the Blue Jays a half a game better since the Blue Jays won and the Rangers lost. And the Mariners, who also lost, lost a game just overall, so now they're a game under now the third wild card team, the Texas Rangers. Blue Jays move into the second wild card. So now it's chasing the Rangers now, and this flip-flops every day, considering how close the Mariners, the Rangers, and the Blue Jays all are, as we were talking about earlier in the show. So the Rangers have the third wild card. Now the Yankees are six and a half back with 12 games left to play. It just continues to be more and more unlikely. I don't know, guys. I refuse to let myself be deluded into the fact that anything could happen. I just... It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. I refuse to believe it and get sucked back in. But, I mean, some people are choosing to be optimistic. I can't fault you for it, but a lot of things have to happen, guys. A lot of things. So I guess that's a perfect segue into the social media segment because, spoiler alert, that's basically exactly what it's about. (laughs) It's a very simple, straightforward, open-ended question. Have the Yankees sucked you back in lately? If not, what will it take for them to do so, if even possible? So, I'll get to your replies in a second. I mean, I've made it very clear throughout this whole show. No need to sound like a broken record as much. But I've made it very clear that I just do not think the Yankees are making the playoffs. They have not sucked me back in despite having a good past week because just too much has to happen. They have to absolutely, like I said before, manhandle the Blue Jays. They're not playing the Mariners or the Rangers anymore, so there are no head-to-head matchups against them to make things any easier, potentially. And... Things have to go perfectly with the Rangers and the Mariners for both of their schedules for the remainder of their games for it to happen. So, like I've been talking about the whole show, just too much has to happen. I don't think the Yankees have it in them to win all six of the remaining six matchups they have against the Blue Jays on the rest of the schedule. And the Mariners and the Rangers, things have to go perfectly right with them and their remaining schedules as well. So, Basically, it's almost like an an entire galaxy's worth of planets have to perfectly align with each other for this to happen. And even at that point, it's not a 100% guarantee. Too many things have to happen, guys. That's why it's just not, not going to play out like that. 
It's not. They're not making the playoffs. I have been saying this since the first or second week of August I've said the season's over, and I have stuck to it every single episode that I have done since then, including the Italy episode over a month ago. And now it's just becoming more and more of a reality as the games continue to pass. They cannot afford to lose very many games at all for the rest of the schedule. And despite winning the series, they managed to lose another game today against the Pirates, a team that they absolutely had to sweep. The closer you get to the end, the more reality will continue to set in for the people who are allowing themselves to be optimistic about this. It's not going to happen. And it's not because I'm a picture of negativity or pessimism. It has nothing to do with that. It's the fact of just acknowledging reality and being honest with myself. I would love nothing more than for the Yankees to prove me wrong and pull off an incomprehensible miracle and shut all of us up. But it's just not going to happen, guys. It's not going to happen. I know that that's not what a lot of people want to hear, but that's... That's just the way it is, guys. That's the situation they find themselves in. That's the situation that they've put themselves in with all the inexcusable individual losses and series losses that they have been allowing themselves to take all season long. And here we find ourselves on September 17th going into the 18th in this predicament. And I'm sorry there is not going to be a way out. There just is not. So let's hear some thoughts from other people. Those are my thoughts. I've made them more than clear throughout the entire show. And it goes back to the episode title. I just refuse. I absolutely and utterly refuse to let myself be deluded into thinking that there's any sort of a chance for the Yankees to make the playoffs, even if they are not definitively mathematically eliminated just yet. I refuse to get sucked back in and believe in something that is just... So remarkably unlikely. First up, we'll we'll just do a few because it's late at the time of recording now, and you know we're about an hour and ten minutes in. Trying to shorten the episodes a bit because I know the two-hour marathons each week are just (laughs) sometimes it's not it. At RMNY1976 says, "No, I watched just to see how the kids are doing. Be prepared for reality once they play the Jays. They will be lucky to go three and three in those six games." Yeah, man, I'm unfortunately inclined to agree with that. Because a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, they could they could win all six. What With what evidence do you think that? <laughs> I know that anything is possible at all times, but you also can't say something that is such an absurd contrast to reality that it's just silly. They're not going to win all six games against the Blue Jays. They're just not. So I completely agree with that. And I do think they'll be lucky to go 3-3 three and three against them in the final six matchups against them. I'm, I'm very much inclined to agree with that. Up next, we have my good buddy James at RebirthChaos09 saying, They have no shot. Man, I understand fans can be delusional, but they aren't making the playoffs. The sooner people realize it, the better. They have to jump two teams and basically go undefeated. They're done. Focus on 2024. Yeah, like I said, a lot has to go correctly all at once. It's just so unlikely. The planets literally have to perfectly align in a way that nobody's ever seen before. (laughs) Because they have to win all their games. They have to completely and utterly manhandle the Blue Jays. And the Mariners and the Rangers' remaining schedules have to go so perfectly in the Yankees' favor. The odds are just so, so tiny 
it's not even worth it. At Baseball Tzar says, beat the Jays. I mean, yeah, that's basically where I was at, but then it got even tougher after losing today's game against the Pirates. That makes it even tougher. Every loss is devastating when they absolutely cannot afford to do any of it with the remaining schedule. At Steve Zim 16 says, sweep the Jays and we'll talk. Yeah, coming into today, that was basically my thought, but again, today's loss makes it even tougher. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life says, You know I've never given up. I'll never give up until the last out of the last game and they are eliminated. I love watching the kids play. The future is bright. Well, yeah, the second half of that, there's no doubt about that. But you know what? The first half, I can respect it. If you don't want to give up until they're completely and utterly out of it, I can't fault you for that, obviously. Everybody has their optimism or lack thereof. I just don't believe there's any shot of it happening regardless of mathematical place. But if you want to think that it can happen up until there's definitively actually no mathematical possibility, then that's your prerogative, of course. Uh, but I definitely align with the second part of it, Watch watching the kids play, all the joy that comes from that, and realizing how bright the future is. Yeah, absolutely. Only Dominguez's injury has really, really dented that quite a bit because it's really going to hurt his development, and it's affecting part of his, what well, should have been, his first official full rookie season next year. That is really deflating. Really, really is. Spencer at Musician DMD says, Many fans seem to have oversimplified the Yankees' situation. They need more than just to win. They need the Jays and Mariners to lose. A lot. If the New York Yankees win all their remaining games, it won't matter if Seattle doesn't lose seven. Not having that control is why they won't make the playoffs. I mean, that's exactly what I've been saying all show, really, and especially here at the end. It's not just about the Yankees winning, which is so unlikely even as it is on its own. But like I said, how everything else has to also perfectly align, as you've also said, Spencer, I could not agree more, dude. It just doesn't do any good to oversimplify a really bleak situation. At Papa D 11.13 says, When they next get to the World Series... I mean, this was mainly just about them making the playoffs this year specifically, but <laughs> listen, I hear you. I know there are a lot of people fed up about the fact that they have not only not won a World Series since 09, but not even gotten to a World Series in 09. And that's been a big discussion on this show for a while now that I've been holding. The fact that they haven't won a World Series since 09, it's been almost 15 years, a decade and a half, which is unusual in its own right when it comes to the Yankees regardless of what other fan bases may say, saying that there's nothing and it's just a product of how spoiled Yankee fans are. Yeah, but you got to think about it from our perspective. And our perspective is the fact that you will have trouble finding many windows of time where the Yankees went that long without winning a championship, but you'll have even a tougher time finding that window of time where the Yankees haven't even won a pennant, which is what they have managed to pull off miraculously in these last near 15 years. They're approaching historic drought levels when it comes to pennants, or lack thereof. Go ahead and try to find many, if any, 15-year windows of time where they have not even won a pennant, let alone a World Series. It's pretty bad. They have gained a reputation of chokers, just being a joke in the playoffs, which is something that I never thought 
that is a truly a reputation that I never, ever thought in a million years that the New York Yankees could ever achieve. But here we are. It's crazy. It's crazy how times can change. <laughs> Start watching baseball. Your team has a certain air about them, certain reputation, certain respect. And then 16 years later, because <laughs> I've been watching baseball since 2007, basically, later on in the season, it was a different world for the Yankees and us fans back then. It's different. And even more different if you go back even further in time. <laughs> At Spring Rose NY says, another season, the Yankees not doing anything. Yeah, well, even more so than just the past few, because the past few, they at least made the playoffs. <laughs> oh, God. What's sadness? All right, let's wrap up the last two. I know it's a lot sooner than usual, but... We'll, uh, we'll see what we do next week for the social media segment. Maybe we'll spend a bit more time on it. See what happens this next week, of course. But let's do the final two, as we usually always do. Up first is my girlfriend, Vic Salimo. She says, I haven't watched a Yankee game unless it's with you since before we left for Italy, so no. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. It's really sad to be so turned off by your favorite sport. It's not all about the winning. It's about the fight. They just don't have the fire in them anymore, and it's sickening. Well, yeah, really outside of this last week, really. I mean, most of the season, they've been playing flat. You're right. That's the way it's been for the vast majority of the season. You've just seen them have absolutely no spirit, no guts. I mean, it's something that you don't see very often. It's that, Like you said, that's really what's more upsetting than anything, and you're right. Everybody loses in sports, in life. You're not always going to be the champion. You're not, not always going to find yourself on top. That's part of life. But... At least don't roll over and give no fight at all. That's just pathetic. Especially if you're the New York Yankees. So I totally hear you, Vic. That's that's where it gets really irritating, especially when you're talking about the Yankees here. Totally understand that. Last but certainly not least is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, Hi, Mike. Hi, Mom. I actually feel better about the Yankees now that we see hope in the kids. Even with Dominguez hurt mysteriously with an injury that usually has nothing to do with his position, I believe that he will be on the roster next year as soon as he's ready. I'll just be happy this year if they finish above 500. honestly. If they got into the playoffs, it would be amazing, but I think it is very unlikely. We shall see. Do you agree? Well, yeah, I do agree. I mean, if they finish above 500, great, but I mean, I don't really see the worth in it. What, just to say that you had another winning season for... Another year in a row to add on to the other three decades? What's the point? You're not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people will call me crazy for like, oh, you'd rather finish under 500? No, I wouldn't rather it. But I'm not going to put like all my energy and all my fuel into finishing over 500 if it doesn't mean anything. Like if you do, that's great, of course. You'd rather have a winning season than a losing season. But I'm not going to be tempted to nosedive off my roof if they finish under 500. Because even if they finished a game or two over 500, if they don't make the playoffs and there's nothing to come of the season, who freaking cares? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm alone on that, but that's just how I feel. Like, if finishing over 500 was the determining factor about making the playoffs or not, that's a different story. But if it's not, then who cares? Either way, it doesn't really matter. This team doesn't deserve to really finish over 500 with the way they played for most of the season, quite frankly. So, that's just how I feel about it. And who knows, I mean, if 
as long as there's no playoffs involved either way, above or under 500, if they finish under 500 and that actually sparks at least a little bit of change in this organization, then whatever. Whatever, you know? You can't finish over 500 forever. They've done that for over three decades now already. So, it's going to happen again someday. (laughs) So, if it has to happen again someday, might as well be now. That's what most of the season has really described. That's, That's the vibe that it's given off. That's the vibe that they've given off with their gameplay or lack thereof throughout this year. So yeah, I guess I'll I'll definitely be happier if they finish over 500 than if they finish under. But it's not the end-all be-all for me. The season's already shot. But yeah, the Dominguez injury, yeah, like I said, I would also myself love to know what really did that. I mean, like I said, the only other Yankee position player who I've heard of really get that especially just in the last few years alone, is Aaron Hicks. I mean, it's not too common that you hear too many position players having to get that. It's primarily, of course, a pitcher's injury. Primarily. There have been position players who have gotten it, of course. It's just not a fraction as common as it is with pitchers. Because obviously, pitchers are the ones straining their arms on a regular basis. So it's completely different. So it's just, it's just really baffling. I mean, who knows how much of 2024 it'll specifically impact. Like I said, we'll probably get more answers as time draws closer for Dominguez, but it's just a depressing situation. It really is. But yeah, the kids are really the main thing to look forward to. That and Garrett winning a Cy Young, as we've spoken about with trying to find any sort of meaning in the suffering that's gone on throughout most of the season. As the season continues to just get closer and closer to being over, those are the things you look to to really try to salvage any positives you can before it ends. But thank you for submitting your answer, Mom, and thank you all for submitting your answers. I just thank you every single week because I love you so much. You know that, guys. I love each and every one of you and appreciate you to the ends of the earth for supporting me, whether it means leaving a like on the video or audio file, whatever you're listening on, leaving a comment to show your love or subscribing or just listening every week. And even if you just listen to five minutes of the show, I mean... Just dedicating any sort of time to me in your life means the world to me. I just want to remind all of you of that as much as I possibly can because it really is coming from my heart. That's really how I feel. I appreciate any and all time that you dedicate to me throughout your busy day. It means the world to me. So I appreciate you always interacting. I appreciate you listening. Doing even the slightest thing to show me support means more than I can ever tell you. But... It is pretty shocking. I don't even think we're going to hit an hour and a half today for the first time in a while, but that is all for episode 195 of Yapping Yankees today, guys, because listen, that's just the way things are right now. That's the Yankee situation. You can only sound like a broken record so many times in a row, so many weeks in a row, before it just becomes utterly insufferable. (laughs) That's all I can really say. So please do remember to follow me on all social medias if you do not already. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero, and Instagram is MikeScuds97. Be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it is available on, guys. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud. Show your love across all of them as you always do such a great job at doing. And if you have the time and you've missed any past Yapping Yankees episodes, well, I do have good news for you. It is not the end of the world because episodes 34 all the way up to episode 195 today, those are all available on YouTube. And every single Yapping Yankees episode going all the way back to episode 1 over four years ago 
all the way up to today's episode. Well, those are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. But once again, I thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my good people, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, September 24th, when I come at you with episode 196 of Yapping Yankees. We are officially within five episodes of the bicentennial 200th episode of Yapping Yankees. Guys, that is completely surreal to me. I can't believe it. But until next week, guys, hang in there, be patient, stay safe, look out for your loved ones, go ahead and kick life's ass this week, as I always tell you to do every single week, my friends, and just continue to find the bright spots wherever you can with the Yankees. Like I said, by next Sunday, we'll have an even clearer picture as to how the wild card picture looks after they have their first three out of their remaining six Head-to-head matchups against the Blue Jays take place from Tuesday to Thursday this week. And then they even have a series against the Diamondbacks next weekend, and they're not necessarily a pushover. And then they'll have another three against the Blue Jays, and then the final three against the Royals, but I assume that they will be officially and completely mathematically eliminated by then, so that'll probably just be for fun at that point. But just try to find any sort of positives and meaning that we can for the rest of the timeout, guys. That's what's most important as we try to do each and every week as we're just playing out a virtually meaningless season. Because you know that I've been saying as far as I'm concerned, they've been out of it for over a month now. That's where we're at, guys. So you might as well just enjoy what we can. So that's what we're going to do until next Sunday, like we try to do every single week, guys, regardless of the Yankee situation. But until then, take care, and let's go Yanks. Yanks.